I think it feels this way every year. Um, but to say that Christmas is just one week away, uh, to me, uh, always seems like a surprise. It's like it just gets here. Here we are nearing the end of uh, 2022. One of the things that I love about the Advent season, uh, what I love about the Christmas season, is how it kind of serves as this anchor as we transition from one year to the next to remind us of what's most important. We get to celebrate not a manger with a baby in it, but we get to celebrate a God who invaded human flesh and came and exposed himself to what we are exposed to was exposed to temptation, but yet resisted and overcame, was exposed to suffering and grief. He lived among us. He died and he was raised again. And with that, it brings perfect hope and perfect peace and perfect love and perfect joy, each of these themes of Advent. And no matter what you've experienced this year, I trust that knowing that Jesus provides what we desperately need can be a comfort and an encouragement. Uh, to you wherever you are. Our theme this Advent has been this changes everything. That God would come and live and move and die and rise again changes everything for us. Changes our experience of all of life if we will allow it. I think of the words of the old Christmas hymn, long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared. And then the soul felt it's worth. Jesus changes everything. One of the things that we had hoped to do in this series is to, to give you some stories of how Jesus changes everything. Uh, you live in a life that's marked by brokenness at times, the brokenness caused by sin. Uh, you experience that and you have your own stories of how Jesus has changed everything for you. Uh, but we wanted to be able to highlight uh, a few stories along the way, and I shared a few in the first week of our series. And in a few moments, we're going to watch a video that shares a story of a family in our church, a couple in our church, and you'll be able to see how God changed everything for them. Uh, it's a story that um, they share very personally uh, and vulnerably. Uh, it's a story marked by pain. Siri is talking to me. No, I don't need to turn off airplane mode. Thank you. Um, uh, it's a story marked by pain. It's a story, um, though that in the end is marked by joy. It's a story where God has changed everything. And, and here's just the ask I would make as we watch this story unfold. Um, uh, be inspired by it. Uh, see that God can change everything in your life. But here's the other ask. Um, is, is don't make it awkward. Um, this family worships with us every week, uh, so don't corner them in the hallway or, or in the room and, and, and ask them a bunch of more personal questions, but just allow their story to inspire you of how God has changed everything for them. Check this out. We met in school in Colorado. I kind of had my eye on him and, you know, we started dating and things kind of progressed rather quickly and I ended up pregnant. And I didn't tell Joe right away because uh, his career was about to take off. When I found out that, that Reagan was pregnant, I ran. And uh, uh, not something I'm proud of, but it's something that, that happened right after he was born. Reagan really uh, urged me to at least meet him. So I, I agreed. And so um, 
did that, and, and as soon as, as I held Lucas, I, I was Joe was making a concerted effort to come and spend some time with Lucas, and there was a lot of awkwardness. Um, he was in another relationship by that time, and um, so he would come to where I was in Wyoming and stay with Lucas, and I would leave and go stay with a friend or stay somewhere else so that he could just have my place. And, you know, it, it just kind of evolved from there. Um, he was spending more time in Wyoming, and I was starting to make trips to go see him with Lucas. We started dating again and um, fell in love, and he proposed. The relationship that was built between Reagan and Lucas uh, as he was growing up, and, and you know, they were in their own pictures together. They, they had a separate life that was just them, and I think there was a jealousy uh, within me to want to be the man in, in Reagan's life. Lucas and, and Reagan have a bond still that is just one that is awesome and it's close and it's, it's one that I envy and it, it was one that I was not responsible enough to be part of. And so during the course of Lucas's life, I uh, tried to put him in, in, a, in a box, make him the, be the perfect kid and held him to, to certain standards and micromanaged him. And, Really, as he got older, it got to be bullying. Bullying, and uh, Reagan used a word that resonates quite well, belittling. A lot of things that, that he would do, it was belittling the, the, the most minor stuff, and it was one of those things that looking back, and even in the moment, could see it was happening, and at the same time, wasn't willing or wasn't able to stop it. And so it really came to a head during our, what I fear now was, was the, the last family trip to Wyoming for the, the rodeo where Reagan's from. Lucas and I, um, there was an altercation uh, verbally in the, the middle of the, the Highway 80 uh, traffic stop in Iowa. And from, from then on, there was some kind of fracture. Reagan was different, something had happened. I don't even remember, I couldn't even tell you what it was. It was probably something very minor and stupid, but at that point, I was done. We had been living in the same house, but in different rooms and um, being cordial um, and trying to hold it together, you know, for the kids and the public. Um, and the kids were going away to camp, and Joe made the suggestion that, hey, maybe, you know, it, if you just need some time, if you think this would help, I can step away, I can go stay somewhere else. And a man, I jumped on that, and I just thought just to have him out of the house, to give me some time to think. And granted, at that time, it was only gonna be for a week. Um, but at the end of that week, I had to sit Joe down and say, look, this, I'm, I'm not ready. I remember the, the kids being there and my, my truck packed up with a lot of my belongings and um, just having that as like a, a loaded gun sitting in the garage, knowing that we were gonna sit the kids down and tell them what was, what was going to happen, that dad was moving out. And just the looks on their faces uh, was just, just heartbreaking. And, and Lucas was, was sitting next to me and immediately he lost it. I mean, emotionally, we, we both started, started crying and I could tell, I could, was reading his mind, we're, we're alike in that way that felt like it was his fault his fault, he, he broke up mom and dad, and so trying to reassure that it's not, weren't his actions, it was something that, that mom and dad were going through and, and more so looking at it, my, my actions. We had tried so many different counseling um, routes. 
I went alone. We went to somebody, um, and I, it, it just was never a good fit. And I think my, when I really realized I was at my breaking point is when I finally reached out to Craig at the church and I met with them a few times. Joe and I met with them. Joe met with Craig and it really just kind of got to a point where like they just were, you know, I think we've done all we can. There's so much damage here. This is so broken that we don't, other than having the financial resources to maybe help you and point you in a direction of somebody to go see. There's so many things in, in our story that point back to God, that uh, it's one of the reasons why, the predominant reason why Reagan and I wanted to share our story is the fact that God moved in so many ways. It's like that old poem where you're walking along and you see two sets of footprints and then you see one for a while. And then the guy's upset and asking God, you know, why'd you leave me? And God's carrying you the whole time. We were carried th throughout our relationship so many times. And um, even from the, the very beginning, meeting with Craig and Audrey, you know, we got connected with the, with the Cabin Counseling Center. But we ended up really having a connection with, with Rob Kern. And, and Rob goes to LCC. His wife sings in the choir. We didn't, we didn't know Rob. We, we didn't, you know, weren't a part of his life in that way. While Craig may have said in his words, you know, we really can't help you anymore, the, the help that their guidance and the financial help from the church because therapy is not cheap, I don't think that Joe and I would be where we are today if it hadn't been the help of the church. And we continued to go through regular therapy. It, it just wasn't working. And so I remember when, when Reagan asked me to meet her at Memorial Park and we met there and that's where she told me it was over and she said that she wasn't feeling it anymore and and, and it was just it was time for for things to be over. I know Joe is trying but there's so much damage and so many years of hurt. I think the only way to really be honest with myself and others and Joe is is to say where my heart really is like it's it there is nothing there nothing left and I and I had to be able to get the courage to tell him that. Three weeks later, a month later, that Reagan asked me to, to meet her at, at the Mexican place in town, and, and that was kind of our, it's always been our thing to, to go there. I kind of figured I was gonna be served papers at that moment. I thought she would have something for me to sign, and I, I was staunchly opposed to divorce, but it was something that, you know, when you say that it's over, it's, it's over, and, um, not wanting to accept it and, and not not feeling like I wanted it to be over. And and she didn't didn't file. There was a, a reset for her and it we feel like it, it gave God a chance to, to move. And it gave him that, that opportunity to, to show how awesome and how mighty he is. I just have this image of God just with his little spoon just kinda of stirring in my heart. Just a little little tiny bit here and a little tiny bit there and you know, before you know it, it's overflowing, and, and I basically just couldn't hold back the feelings, you know, anymore, and the knowledge that I, I do love this man, and, um, you know, we have three wonderful children together, and we've created a life, and <clears throat> we've been through so much, you know, and I, and I do love the person that he is, um, so, I, you know, like I said, I wish I could say what it was. I, I, can't other than it's God, you know, just doing what he does. I think the
know, God continues to flex. It's just one of those things that um, make you think it, it can be better, but then, like, there's the next level and the next level after that. And it's just like, th- this is what you're, you're, you're kind of upset at the fact that you, you could have gotten it right, you know, several years ago, a decade ago, but at the same time, it's like, you see now and, and you want to be able to finish well. So that, that's kind of where, why not with my family is, is going to finish well with, with her and with the kids and, and certainly with Lucas and um, not letting the, the mistakes of, of the past. And, and there are many that I made, but um, being able to see that, that circumstance happen and being able to, to maybe move on a better path, it's, it's healthy for everyone going forward. That God bless the broken road that led me straight to you. I wouldn't be here now where I am sitting next to him if it weren't for God. And I know that. Um, I, like I said earlier, I don't, there's no other explanation for it. You know, there just isn't. Yeah. And my, my love affair with with God continues, but it's kind of taken on a new role of wanting to, to maybe make up for some lost time. I know that, you know, that spiritual walk is, is one that may have been put on pause and, and been one that the kids, especially and, and Reagan too, maybe weren't excited to take a, a journey with our heavenly father because of what the earthly father was doing. And so I know that's had an effect on Lucas and, and there, there have been ripple effects. And so were my relationship, I want to stay right there still with God and, and trying to get better at that, wanting to be able to, to make it for lost time and, and show that the earthly father can be better thanks to the, the heavenly father and, and being able to, to model that better, certainly better than what I did. I appreciate uh, Joe and Reagan's vulnerability, and they're now two years into this new uh, restored journey, uh, how God has continued to change everything for them. And it just really speaks, I think, to the sentiment that uh, we want you to understand during Christmas season is that it's because of Jesus, uh, because of God, um, that everything can change. I want to spend a moment praying for you because uh, you may have your own places you're hoping that God would change everything in. And I want to thank God for Joe and Reagan's story, and then we'll move on into this theme of joy. Father, I thank you for um, the courage that you've given Joe and Reagan to share their story with us. And um, not to hide um, the difficulties uh, from others, but to show how you have worked in what were just places of, of deep despair that because of you, because uh, they both pursued you and committed to your purposes that uh, you brought uh, some unbelievable restoration. And so God, I just pray that um, you continue to do that work in them and through them and through their story. Uh, but God, I also know that there are people here, there are people watching from home who are experiencing their own difficulties and they're wondering, is, is transformation, is change possible? And God, I just pray that this would inspire them to see that they could keep taking one step forward, to keep their eyes fixed on you, to pursue you, and to know that 
Uh, the story hasn't finished being written yet, uh, that you are still at work. Uh, Father, would you lead us? Uh, would you guide us to experience your best? And Father, would you guide us over the next few minutes as we look at joy? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So joy is the theme of this final week of Advent. Uh, again, we're moving into this week right before uh, Christmas. Joy is one of those words that's everywhere, uh, isn't it? Uh, this time of year, I don't know what Hobby Lobby would do without the word joy. I mean, their sales would probably plummet because there are pictures and decorations everywhere uh, with the word joy on it. Uh, we find it in storefronts, uh, on windows. We find it, you know, hanging in the center of a wreath. Uh, we find it in, in lawn decorations lit up to, 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 to guide our eyes at night. It's on billboards, it's in Christmas cards, uh, it's in our Christmas carols, both the classics and the more contemporary ones. I think of Joy to the World and Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. I think of newer ones like Unspeakable Joy. Joy is everywhere, and yet it's often missing from so many people's lives. It's as though we know the sound of the word joy but we miss out on the experience of joy. What is joy? If you were to ask the average person uh, out in our community, uh, you would probably hear something along it's, it's the lines of it's different than happiness, it's, it's deeper than that, it's something that's more significant than happiness, it's these feelings of intense pleasure and delight that go beyond happiness, that that is joy. And yet when we look to the pages of Scripture, when we look to God's words to us in the Bible, we learn that joy is far more than an emotional experience or a feeling. Yeah, feelings can accompany joy, but joy is more of an attitude. Joy is more of an outlook. It's how we see the world. And that's the joy that I hope that you'll discover as we look at that theme today. I think there's probably no better place to begin than uh, Luke chapter 2 as we think about joy. It's the classic Christmas story. It's one that you probably uh, or some of you have read multiple times uh, this Advent season already. It's one that's probably being read in churches all across the world today. It's one that will be read in churches all across the world this weekend for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And that famous story of Mary and Joseph coming to Bethlehem because of the census that was being taken in the entire Roman world, and they get there, and there's no room in the guest house, and so Mary and Joseph, they end up in a place where animals dwell, and there she gives birth to Jesus and wraps him in cloths and lies him in a manger. And we learn that sometime after that birth, in the fields nearby, there are shepherds, humble, hardworking shepherds just keeping watch over their sheep in the silence of the night beneath the sky. And then the radiance and the brilliance of God's glory shines around them, and they are terrified. And here is what we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The angel comes to these shepherds and says, I bring you good news of great joy. 
Good news that will cause great joy. That, 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 that term good news is a message sent from a king. He, the angel comes heralding a message from the God of the universe that is good. And what is that message? What is that herald that, that, that the angel's bringing? It's one of great joy, immense joy, grand joy, mega joy. And why is it one of joy? Because it points them to the fulfillment of God's redemptive promises and purposes. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. If you want to experience true, deep-seated, life-transforming joy, it's going to be rooted in the redemptive promises and purposes of God. It's all over this angelic pronouncement. It says, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. These shepherds uh, were descendants of Abraham. These shepherds uh, were those who worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were among what we would call the people of Israel. And they had held on to this hope for generations that there would be this anointed one, that there would be this Messiah, that there would be this, this, this new king that would, would fall in the line of David. There had been this promise given to David, 2 Samuel chapter 7, that there would be one to sit on his throne forever. And they'd held on to that promise. They'd held on to that promise during their darkest seasons when they were taken away to captivity by Babylon, when, when Assyria took some of the people and, and then brought back people from all kinds of different places in the world and kind of developed this kind of mixed group of people in the northern kingdom. They held on to this promise. The prophets reminded them of this promise, that there would be one, there would be a king, there would be a Messiah who would come and rescue one day. And he'd come in the line of David. And so as the, the angel pronounces that today... In the town of David, a Savior has been born. That's where joy is found. Joy is found in a God who keeps his promises and continues to work his purposes. We see this hinted at in the words of Isaiah the prophet. One of our favorite passages during the Christmas season is Isaiah chapter 9. We've already read it a couple times this Christmas season. But after we get past the, the famous part that for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, we read these words in verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The prophet Isaiah, through the power of the Spirit, says God is good for this. There's coming one who will sit on David's throne, who will rule. And so as this angel speaks to these shepherds and says, I bring you good news of great joy that will bring great joy, that will cause great joy, here's why. Because God is keeping his promises. God is keeping his redemptive promises. He's working out his redemptive purposes. God, God is acting. 
Joy is rooted in the redemptive promises and purposes of God, that, that he is working all things to his marvelous end, that he is faithful to keep the promises that he's made in the past. That's where joy is ultimately found. As we've been studying the book of Acts, it was interesting as I, I read the book, it was probably on the second or the third reading, I started noticing that, that, that joy shows up on page after page after page in the book of Acts. And as I asked myself why, it's because that joy is rooted in the redemptive promises and purposes of God. I just want to walk you through a brief tour. Um, you'll see these scriptures on the screen. They're on a couple slides. Acts 2.46. When it describes the early church who uh, met in one another's homes, they broke bread together. It tells us that they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It's a word that's translated elsewhere as joy. They ate together with joy. Why? Because their lives were rooted in the redemptive promises and purposes of God. They had come to know the Savior of the world, the Jesus who saved them. They were following him. Even though they, they met with persecution and suffering in their world, they could hold on to joy because of what God had done, what he was doing, what he would do. Acts 5.41, when the apostles are persecuted, it says they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. They were rejoicing. In Acts 8, as Philip preaches about Jesus in Samaria, it says Philip proclaims the Messiah in Samaria, and there's great joy in the city. In Acts 8.39, when the eunuch comes to follow Jesus through Philip's testimony, it says he went on his way rejoicing. When Barnabas is at Antioch, we read in Acts 11 that he arrived and saw the grace of God, what the grace of God had done, and he was glad, joyful, joyous, encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He saw the change, the transformation that took place in people's lives. Acts 13, 52, the disciples are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Acts 14, 17, the living God fills your hearts with joy. Acts 15.3, they told how the Gentiles had been converted, and this news made all the believers very glad, hearing that God was redeeming and rescuing and drawing people into his purposes filled them with gladness and with joy. And then Acts chapter 16, when the jailer who's overseeing the jail when uh, Paul and Silas have been tortured and they're singing and there's an earthquake, he, he goes to kill himself and they stop him because all the prisoners are accounted for. He asks them to share with him, the hope that they have, and they do. And it tells us that that night he believed in Jesus and he and his whole household were saved and baptized. And Acts 16.34 tells us that the jailer was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. Why was there so much joy among the early disciples and the early followers of Jesus? Because their lives were rooted in the redemptive promises and purposes of God. They had come to know that Jesus was the savior of the world, that God was working through Jesus to rescue them from sin and bring them into new life and into his kingdom. And, and their life was shaped around those purposes. And so that brought them joy. How is it that you and I can experience the fullness of joy? It's by aligning our life around the same thing, by rooting our lives in the redemptive promises and purposes and plans of God. And recognizing that this world is full of brokenness caused by sin. And recognizing that our lives are affected 
by the brokenness of sin. Uh, We all, in the words of the prophet Isaiah, like sheep have gone astray. We, We all have sinned against God. We all experience those damaging effects. And yet we know this, that because of Jesus, there is a way. That although we're lost, we can be found, that we can align our life around him and his purposes and his commands and his truth. And as we come to him in faith, he rescues us, he saves us, he redeems us, and he, 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 he sets us on a course where sin doesn't have the final say. See, when our lives are rooted in the redemptive promises and purposes of God, we too can have joy because the things that seem to steal our happiness and our delight and our pleasure, death and sorrow and disease and difficulty and division and disappointment, they don't have the final say because God is working all things towards his marvelous end. And that gives us the outlook, the perspective of joy. Joy is rooted in the redemptive promises and purposes of God. And because of that, it brings us new perspective. So joy comes with perspective. Perspective is a new way of seeing, a new way of looking. And because of Jesus, because of what he's done, we can see the world differently. We can see our trials and our difficulties and our hardships differently. I think Jesus probably models this uh, for us the best. He himself endured difficulties in this world. And yet because of joy rooted in God's redeeming promises and purposes, he was able to persevere. Hebrews chapter 12 is a favorite of many followers of Jesus. And in it, we see the example of Jesus. It's that famous passage where we're told that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, um, that we get to run the race with perseverance that God has marked out for us. And then the writer says, this is how you do it. We do this by fixing, this is verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy that was set before him. How did Jesus endure the cross and the suffering and the difficulty? How did he scorn and dismiss and despise the shame associated with the cross? Because of joy. He had the perspective, he had the outlook, he knew what was coming, he knew that the cross didn't have the final say, that death didn't get the final victory, and so holding on to that, he knew what God was up to. He was rooted in what God was doing, what God had accomplished, what he had promised, and that brought him joy, even in hardship. And look what the writer of Hebrews says to do. Consider him, think on him, ponder him, analyze him, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When we fix our eyes on Jesus and see how he lived in difficulty with joy, we can learn to live in our own difficulty with joy. Because joy is not found simply in what you feel, but it's rooted in the redemptive promises and purposes of God. 
I think about those shepherds in, in Luke chapter 2. After that angelic announcement, um, the angels come in a chorus and sing, and they go to see where the baby is. But they still lived in a, in a place that was severely and heavily taxed. Uh, they still would go home to their own difficulties and knowing how to provide for their families. They still would encounter disease and sickness. They weren't removed from the difficulties of this world, yet they could have great joy. Why? Because their perspective had changed. Because they knew that God was working, just as he had worked, and that God would continue to work in incredible ways. Because of Jesus, because God acted in human history, because God sent the Savior, we don't have to worry about death, disease, disappointment, depression, difficulty, debt, and even division having the final say. And may that be our reminder today of what joy truly is. I, I think of what happens sometimes as we watch a uh, a movie, you've probably had this experience, you're watching a movie or a television series or an episode and uh, you're immersed in that episode or that movie and tension is building and then suddenly the screen cuts to black and you see those words to be continued. Joy is living life knowing that there's this stamp of to be continued on it that in devastating loss and grief, the story isn't over, it's to be continued. When you go to the doctor and you receive the diagnosis, the story isn't over, it's to be continued. When your marriage is in a desperate place that that will not define the whole of your life, the story is to be continued. When you encounter financial difficulty, when you encounter um, the, the hurts and the, the hardships of life, that they will not have the final say, that it's to be continued. When your girlfriend or boyfriend breaks up with you, to be continued. When life is just difficult, to be continued. Joy is looking at life and understanding that the God who was at work still is at work and will be at work. It's an outlook, it's a perspective that's rooted in the redemptive promises and purposes and plans of God. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for a joy that goes far beyond what we feel. And that, Father, even when we don't feel the delight or the pleasure with where life is or has taken us, that we can still have joy, knowing that you're still working, that you're still on the throne. And that, Father, as we trust in you and commit to you, you'll continue to change everything for us. Father, as we move into this final week of Advent, just ask that you would be our hope, our peace, that you would continue to help us not only experience your love, but to truly learn to love, not by any worldly definition, but by yours. And that God, that you would help us be a joyful people for a world in need. 
in your name we pray and trust. In the name of Jesus, amen.